It was a Tuesday. I remember that. That's Gavin Schmidt, one of NASA's leading climate scientists. He's just woken up from a deep sleep, probably dreaming about spaceships, I guess, or whatever it is NASA scientists dream about. Gavin had been running this blog called Real Climate for a few years. His main aim was to properly and clearly communicate what he saw as the facts of climate change, that this was a man-made crisis. I was checking on the blog and then, you know, and suddenly I couldn't, I couldn't log in. Gavin resets his password and then logs back in. And boom, instantly I'm thrown out again. So he calls his service provider and asks them to find out why he keeps getting thrown out of his own website. Then Gavin goes to work at NASA, spends the day floating around in zero gravity probably. Then he goes home and turns on his computer. What I found was that somebody had in fact hacked into our blog and was just about to put a post out. This post contained a link to thousands of emails between Gavin and his fellow climate scientists. Emails that would make it look like they were making all this climate change stuff seem worse than it is. And the post was about to go out. Literally, they were almost done. These private emails were about to be published on his blog for the world to see. Thousands of hacked emails showing global Stolen warming emails scientists. from top researchers were Unknown hackers online. broke into the database of the Climatic Research Unit, or I'm Alzo Slade, and from something else, this is Cheap, a series that asks the question, is it ever okay to break the rules? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We all know there are some issues that are so inflammatory that we tend as a society not to bring them up around people we don't know that well. Stuff like religion, politics, and depending on the company, you can throw climate change in there too. I think it's fair to say the first two have always been pretty hotly contested. But climate change wasn't always so polarized. Back in the 90s and the 2000s, you had people on both sides of the political spectrum asking the questions. Do humans really have an effect on global temperatures? Are sea levels actually rising? Should I trade my gas car in for a diesel one? It was all fairly respectful and polite. That was until something happened in 2009 that would pour some gas onto the whole conversation. Pun intended. Something that would ignite the fire in the bellies of politicians, journalists, scientists, and us ordinary folks. Something that set climate change progress back and affected the future of our planet for years to come. This is a story of how a group of people were accused of manipulating the narrative to further their agenda. My name is Steve Malloy. I publish the website junkscience.com. Steve Malloy is a pretty notorious name in the world of climate change. Notorious for being a skeptic. I started working on EPA issues, Environmental Protection Agency, Uh, 30 years ago. Over the years, Steve had dedicated himself to examining 
how much of environmental policy was based on science versus politics. He even started the Environmental Policy Analysis Network to do just that. It was here that he coined the phrase junk science, referring to a lack of scientific fact in issues like climate change. You're making predictions about what's going to happen 50 and 100 years from now. That's fine, and that can be a scientific process, but you've got to wait to see if those predictions come true. And with climate, they weren't. They were just making the predictions based on models that had not really been validated and pretending that, well, this is what the science says. Steve really doesn't like these computer models. He thinks they're just predictions and guesstimates. He thinks current climate change rhetoric is motivated by something other than a desire to protect the planet. You've got people that are benefiting from green tech. You've got the solar industry, the wind industry, the electric car industry. These are people who, you know, fancy to benefit from climate regulation. Now, to be clear, there are a whole bunch of folks who benefit from the fossil fuel industry as well. However, Steve's views are pretty representative of the climate skeptic community. And they have a big part to play in this story. My opinion of fossil fuels is that they are the greatest technology that humans have ever invented. Fossil fuels have changed the world. They've revolutionized travel by fueling our cars, planes, and along with human labor, they energized the Industrial Revolution. So when it comes to this climate change thing, Steve ain't really buying it. The notion that we are just going to cut our throats by getting rid of fossil fuels in hopes that it somehow improves the weather is, you know, for lack of a better term, insane. Steve believes that the weather's changed before and it'll change again. But there's not much we can do about it. Not having coal-fired power plants or uh, SUVs or cheeseburgers, none of that is going to stop extreme weather in the future. To Steve, Climate conversations have always relied on alarmism. People in Congress saying that we only have nine years left to save the planet. And it's not just Congress. The climate alarmist movement has been adopted by Hollywood, so we've had movies like uh, The Day After Tomorrow. If we don't act now, it's going to be too late. I'm afraid that time has come and gone, my friend. What can we do? Save as many as you can. Uh, yeah, I remember that. The Day After Tomorrow, released in 2004. In the movie, Dennis Quaid plays this climate scientist, Jack Hall, who goes on a dangerous mission to New York to save his son after the world is plunged into a sudden ice age. Yeah, that was the movie. And this brought about a whole load of public interest in climate change. All of a sudden, people had a whole bunch of questions. There was some desire from, from climate scientists to kind of use this as a, as a teaching moment to talk about, you know, what, what does climate change look like? That's Gavin Schmidt, our climate scientist from NASA. The problem was that around the time of the movie, there really wasn't a good way for scientists like Gavin to communicate with the public. This is before Facebook, it's before Twitter, it's before social media. So the movie comes out and suddenly all of these questions are flying around. What does the overturning stream function in the North Atlantic do? Can you really bring uh, air down from the stratosphere and, uh, and freeze a, a helicopter in midair? So no is the answer to that one, in case you were wondering. Pretty cool idea, but not at all real. Which would be fine if it was just a Hollywood blockbuster. But remember, 
This was the climate scientist moment to communicate just how much danger we were really in. But collectively, the scientific community, particularly in the U.S., like failed abysmally. There was even a memo that went around at NASA and made it into the New York Times that said NASA scientists weren't allowed to talk about the movie. Maybe they didn't want to comment because there were some pretty political moments in the film when they criticized the Bush-like administration. And maybe NASA was fearful that it would draw attention to real-life budget cuts and encourage criticism of Bush. Whatever the reason, NASA steered clear, and the chance to raise the alarm about climate change had failed. And I found that personally quite frustrating. And so after a couple of years of climate scientists saying that they need to do more to communicate their message to the people, Gavin decided to actually do something. He started a blog as well. Yep, another blog. You got to remember, this is the 2000s. Blogs were popping up like crazy back then. And this blog was called Real Climate. And it became popular pretty quickly. They took on climate change skeptics from people like Steve Malloy, who you heard from earlier, to the author, Michael Crichton. Gavin started his blog in 2004, and five years later, in 2009, it was still going strong. He had just got back from work and was checking his blog like he usually did when he realized something was wrong. I'm looking at this, this post. But Gavin hadn't written this thing. Someone had hacked him, and they were about to publish something on his site. He read the post and saw there was a file attached. And I'm looking at his file and I'm going, what is this thing? He had no clue what it was. Could it be a virus? Maybe it's porn. Spam? Well, Gavin was about to find out. That's coming up after the break. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to True Spies. The podcast that takes you deep inside the greatest secret missions of all time. Suddenly out of the dark, it's appeared in Laden. You'll meet the people who live life undercover. What do they know? What are their skills? And what would you do in their position? Vengeance felt good. Seeing these people pay for what they'd done felt righteous. True Spies from Spyscape Studios. Wherever you get your podcasts. Gavin Schmidt is at his computer, and he's just logged on to his blog, Real Climate, to discover he's been hacked. And the hacker is about to publish a post on his site. Gavin managed to block the post from being published from his blog just in time. But he was curious. Within the post was a link to a huge file. He had no idea what it could be. This dude is just a climate scientist. What could someone possibly want with his blog? so he downloaded the file. It was thousands of emails sent over the course of about a decade, and all from climate scientists like himself at the University of East Anglia. UEA is a university in Southeast England, pretty close to the coast. It's not one of the prestigious red brick universities. It's not even very well known. 
and for a long time, the university has been dismissed as being an academic backwater. But the thing about the UEA is their climate department is pretty amazing. Some of the world's leading climate scientists work there, including director of the department, Phil Jones. Then you have the folks like Mike Hume, Keith Briffa. You may not know who these folks are, but basically, they're the big guns in climatology. Some of the leaked emails had actually been sent from these men, and Gavin was shocked. And so I called them, and I said, have you guys been hacked or something? Because I've got a whole bunch of your emails here, and they go back to, like, 1993 and up until, like, two weeks ago. Turns out the University of East Anglia did have one of their servers hacked. More than a decade's worth of emails between the university's climate scientists and other prominent members of that community were stolen. And over a thousand were leaked via different platforms to the public. They were everywhere you look. Somebody had gone through, I think, 13 years of their email uh, to find, you know, things that sounded a bit weird. You know, and some of them were jokes. Some of them were uh, unwise, I would say unwise or downright petty. This one email talking about climate change skeptic Piers Corbin said he's an utter prat, but he's getting a lot of airtime at the moment. Some of them were uh, kind of just, you know, unnecessary. Speaking about the death of Australian climate change skeptic John Daly, this dude Phil Jones said, In an odd way, this is cheering news. Mmm, okay, probably not the best things to have there in black and white for the world to see, Pretty soon, these emails started to circulate the internet. Gavin might have stopped this hack, but others got through. And now, mainstream media outlets have started to pick up the story. Global warming scientists blasting researchers who do not buy into their doomsday scenario. University of East Anglia uh, decided to put a complete blackout on their scientists speaking in public. What is it that they say in PR? Take control of the narrative? Yeah. What the climate scientists did by staying quiet was stoke the fire even further. What they should have done is put them out in front of the media and then just have them be there until the media got bored. One prominent Telegraph journalist and climate change skeptic James Dellingpole was at the forefront of breaking the story. He called the event Climate Gate, and the name stuck. What is Climate Gate? Here's the background. Journalists everywhere were looking for a scoop. When it came to journalists, like suddenly they end up in a situation where the people that they had talked to for years, they were all part of these email chains. Uh, yeah, I can see the difficulty there. Where does a journalist on the climate beat go when their normal sources of information become the subject of the actual story? The bounds of what was permissible to talk about around climate expanded. The people, the kind of the gatekeeping type of people, suddenly you couldn't just rely on what they said because they were implicated. Things weren't looking too good for climate scientists. They had a chance to get some good publicity when the Day After Tomorrow movie came out, but they blew it. And now the only press they had was bad press. Right at that moment, Journalists didn't know who to trust, whereas, you know, we'd been spending a lot of time trying to get journalists to pay attention to us and to, you know, trust what we were doing. A lot of journalists turned to climate change skeptics who were more than willing to talk. 
You remember Steve Malloy with the appreciation for fossil fuels? He heard about the leak pretty soon after it happened. Woke up one morning, <laughs> went to my computer and my uh, partner in Australia, uh, you know, sent me news of it and, and links to the emails. Steve was digging through the emails. There had to be more evidence that climate change wasn't all that it was made out to be. And then he saw it. Information about a graph. A graph that charted global temperatures going back half a millennium and showed how severe recent global warming has been. And it took on the general shape of a hockey stick. The infamous hockey stick. This graph, it basically showed temperatures falling very gradually for a long time into the 1900s. And then there's a sudden and very steep incline where the temperature shoots up. It appeared to Steve and his peers that some data points that show global temperatures had actually fallen were disregarded. You know, the whole hide the decline theme that came out of that where some inconvenient data had been lopped off. <laughs> it seemed to Steve that the data had been manipulated to hide global cooling. And then he saw an email, one that would put the final nail in the coffin. It read, The fact is, we can't account for the lack of warming at the moment and it's a travesty that we can't. So scientists were expecting global warming to be more drastic, but it wasn't. And the skeptics took that email and the hockey stick graph as pretty damning evidence that climate change was a big, fat lie. I think we put that on junk science as many other websites did. It was big news when it first happened. I mean, the emails didn't look good. They appeared to show climate scientists mocking skeptics and working together to try to stop papers that were critical of their work being published. You could see, you know, these climate activist scientists trying to shut down, you know, dissenters and keep opponents from publishing in journals. You could see the media siding with, you know, being involved with the climate activist researchers. Steve looked at the emails and it seemed to line up with everything he'd been saying, that climate change was not based on science. You know, there's all this concern about, with the new UN report, Code Run report, saying that we're going to maybe hit our climate target of 2C 10 years earlier. Well, in ClimateGate, they pretty clearly say that the 2C target is not science-based. It was just plucked out of thin air. So this 2C thing means 2 degrees Celsius just in case you didn't know, because I didn't know. But the 2C target is pretty arbitrary. Without a clear answer, it's scientists' best estimate of when global warming will start to have massive negative effects. Skeptics, they rush to get this story out, because you remember the scientists on the other side, they weren't talking to the media. If I am so wrong, if we are so wrong and so corrupt and... <laughs> you know, evil, it should be pretty easy to destroy us in public debate. But they refuse to do it. And why is that? Because they're afraid, because they'll get, you know, their arguments will be destroyed. Whoa, destroyed, that's pretty strong. I mean, from that perspective, it's like, if the scientists weren't defending themselves, it could only mean one thing. The skeptics were right, right? Climate gate was just sort of a convenient validation of what we had been saying for everybody to see.
the climate change skeptic community was out in full force. They coordinated a big push to get the story out. Scientists have been fudging the data to hide global cooling. It was their own inconvenient truth. And not only that, but scientists were working together to prevent folks from challenging their work. In fact, they said climatologists were refusing to give access to their data, so there must be something wrong with it. The story made international headlines. This thing was huge. I mean, they called it climate gate. Whenever you put gate on the end of anything, it increases the drama exponentially. And that's what it was. Climate gate plastered everywhere. There are those who disagree with the overwhelming scientific evidence on climate change. But, but... Everybody has something to say. Here's the thing. Even Sarah Palin was talking about it. Republican Senator James Inhofe was talking about it. The emails show the world's leading climate scientists arguing. And back in 2003, I said, blaming global warming on CO2 and other man-made gases is the greatest hoax ever perpetrated on the American people. I was right. Suddenly, the left and right had another issue to fight over. Suddenly, a scientific thing is now a matter of identity. Do you believe or do you not believe in climate change? There was a whole lot to gain if politicians could convince the public that climate change wasn't real. Industries and individuals that would make a whole bunch of money. So what reason did people give for why scientists would fake climate change? There's lots of motivation. Climate is the perfect way to get government control over the economy and all of society. Or, as Gavin puts it, You know, we're all socialists who want to control the world or something. Gavin and his colleagues all of a sudden were bombarded with accusations. They had to explain themselves and their work to the public, to skeptics, to journalists, to politicians, all before people dismissed climate change as a hoax and more damage was done. That's coming up after the break. Pretty much every media outlet had picked up the story of ClimateGate. Politicians were raving about climate change being a hoax. Skeptics were sharing the emails and posting them online. Finally, the University of East Anglia hired a PR consultancy firm, and the scientists involved were offered up to explain everything. The fact of the matter is is that there was nothing there. People were rude about the skeptics, yes. People were obstructionist, yes. But they maintained that the science was solid. And what about that hockey stick graph that skeptics thought was manipulated to hide global cooling because of a data manipulation trick. I think it was going back to 1600. And it looks a little bit like a hockey stick, you know, going down a little bit and then it goes up. They had accurate data from recent times, but they needed something from pre-thermometer times to give them a rough estimate of previous temperatures. And they used tree rings to do that. And so in the smooth, it was spliced together so that it was a smooth curve that went from 1600 to the present. So what they did was they put the old data from the tree rings and the new data from thermometers onto one graph and made a smooth line between the data points so they had a curve which would tell them the overall trend of temperatures. They hadn't hit anything. There was no global cooling. So eventually... Journalists started to question if skeptics had actually cherry-picked words from the emails and misconstrued them 
to support an anti-climate change narrative. So what's happening here is there are people who have cultural, political, religious, economic philosophies that they then invoke when they want to cherry-pick one scientific result or another. It's par for the course. I expect that. I mean, what do you mean? We're cherry-picking their own words? We're using their words. You know, I, I, am, I am not aware of any, you know, anything that has been taken out of context in any of those emails. Uh, if we were wrong, who, you know, who has, where, where is that? After a number of investigations and analysis of the emails by outside groups, including The Guardian and the House of Commons, it turned out that the climate change skeptics had interpreted the emails incorrectly. So you mean you put us through all of this and you guys didn't know what you were doing when you were reading them? I think there was like 10 inquiries at the various levels. You know, they were all inquiries based on, well, there's been a lot of newspaper coverage of this. We should have an inquiry. Physicists at the University of California, Berkeley, reanalyzed more than 1.6 billion land temperature measurements. I mean, that's a hell of a lot of data. And they came to exactly the same conclusions as the UEA scientists. They found that temperatures have significantly increased in recent times. And Penn State University, they carried out one of eight major investigations which all exonerated the scientists involved. I took them, you know, now a few months here, a few months there. You know, after a year, it was all done. Like, nobody had found anything. The only, the only criticism that, uh, that was really sustained was um, people were naive about how to deal with freedom of information requests in the, in the UK. Okay, sure, the scientists had sent a few emails that they shouldn't have, but the science was solid, and their results had been reproduced all over the world. Like most news, ClimateGate was all the media outlets could talk about at the time, but it quickly faded away. Most people don't think about ClimateGate today, but I I never forget about ClimateGate. Gavin agrees that ClimateGate kind of lived and died with the whirlwind media cycle. Put in ClimateGate in Google Trends, and you see this massive spike in November 2009. There's a little blip about a year later, like a tiny little blip, and then zero. Like, nobody cares. Steve is still out there hanging on, convinced that skeptics will win over public opinion sooner or later. I view us as still winning this debate. If you ask people, are you concerned about the climate? They'll say yes. Are you willing to pay to do something about it? No. ClimateGate happened just weeks before the Copenhagen Climate Change Conference. It was the biggest opportunity for international climate policy that had occurred in years. People were expecting a historic agreement to take place that day. But the emails made it harder to convince people at the conference that urgent action was needed. So they didn't come to a legally binding agreement that day. ClimateGate seemed to completely fuck everything up. However, in 2015, 196 parties signed an agreement in Paris to limit global warming by two degrees. Since then, we've had Trump withdraw from the agreement and then Biden rejoin. I mean, these folks are playing tug of war over climate change. Meanwhile, glaciers are melting, sea levels rising, permafrost is defrosting, releasing methane gas, hurricanes and tornadoes seem to be more frequent, and 2020 was the hottest year since they've been measuring this stuff. 
It's interesting. All the lies, misinformation, and manipulation of the climate narrative really amounts to us against the earth. And we ain't gonna win that battle. Hey folks, thanks for listening. Just a reminder to follow Cheat wherever you get it. And please do leave a rating and a review if you like what we're doing. It helps other people discover the show. And of course, we want more listeners. Also, if you want to listen to the show without the ads, you can subscribe to Cheat Plus. It's like Cheat, but better. It's just $2.99 a month, or if you're in the UK, £2.49. And you get all of this without having to listen to those annoying commercials. Just go to Apple Podcasts and hit subscribe instead of follow. You can try it for free now. Next time on Cheat. He just made it up. He made every step of that up. He didn't have proof for any one of those steps. I mean, it was just this kind of ex-cathedra kind of statement that here's this vaccine that causes this problem without any proof. Cheat is written and presented by me, Alzo Slate. This episode was produced by Mira Kumar and Tom Fuller. The executive producers are Lizzie Jacobs and Tom Koenig. The series editor is Joe Sykes. The original idea for this show was developed by Tom Fuller. Engineering, sound design, and scoring by Martin Peralta. Our design and visual team is Emma Lansdowne and Sarah De La Rue. Special thanks to Steve Ackerman, Mark Rivers, Peggy Sutton, and Ella McLeod. <laughs>